Hi, I'm Dr. Akiva Down. And I'm Rabbi Avi Green. And welcome to Interesting Questions. In this podcast, we'll be addressing issues that are philosophical, religious, and psychological in nature. We will be focusing on that which is considered to be controversial, and there may not be a right or wrong answer. So we are hoping that our discussions will yield more questions for your Shabbos table. Hello, and welcome to Interesting Questions, our Thursday edition. So, uh, Avi, we were talking about the, the idea that for some people, there are certain things that come up, and the response is, duh, which is a nice way of saying, of course. Well, maybe it's not a nice way of saying it. Maybe not a nice way of saying it. Uh, and, and, and this can be, you know, in all sorts of different ways. And, and how, for some people, they have that of course moment. And yet for other people, th- this is earth-shattering information. Right? So, wearing a helmet. There's so many examples of this. Some people, of course you wear a helmet. And and quite frankly, some of those are the individuals who are most prone to needing to wear a helmet. And not because they fall, but because they do things that they need to protect their head. And and others, you might say, oh, I'm just getting on it for a little bit. It'll be okay. And then, right, what happens? They get some kind of head injury or something like that. Or... A, there's so many examples of these, and I think that oftentimes, once we get it, and it's something that is a duh for us, then unfortunately what sometimes happens is then we miss the fact that it's still important information. And so we don't necessarily pass that information on because we accept it as, let's say, common sense. And we've already discussed about the idea that common sense is not common. And yet, those of us who utilize common sense think that it should be. So, I think there are two different paths I would suggest connected to this. Um, and, and one of them is definitely more your bailiwick than mine, but I'll, I'll start us off. Um, part of it is an issue of comfort and, dare I say, laziness. In other words, um, if you say, I know I should be wearing a helmet when I ride my bike, but it's all the way over there, or but I've done it a hundred times and I was fine, right? What you might really be saying is, I don't want to schlep all the way over there to go get it, or it's uncomfortable when I wear it, or I think I look stupid when I wear it, and therefore I'm not going to, right? And I think we do that with a lot of things. There are things we know we should do, and yet our, our lethargy or our uh, momentum um, just just walks us past that, right? There's a famous phrase, right? Do as I say, not as I do. Um, and so those kinds of, those kinds of uh, activities, I think, make up one category of well, he knew he should have done that, and he chose not to do it. Why? It's so obvious, right? The other, I think, is less obvious, and I think that's a question of exposure. So sometimes when we are young, our parents, our teachers, others expose us to certain things. 
And so they become a part of who we are or something we're aware of that becomes a given to us. Um, so, you know, for a lot of us, we learn things at such a young age that we don't even really remember them or don't give them deep thought because we've learned them at an age where critical thinking skills haven't fully developed yet. And so they've just become a given in our, in our lives. Um, and if I was going to give examples of this, um, I think about, you know, I, I work with, I've worked with both people who have grown up observant and people who have come to observance later in life. And sometimes the people who've grown up observant, you know, you tell them a story from the Torah and they're like, uh, yeah, I know, I've, I've heard this story my entire life. And you tell the same story to somebody who is newly observant or who is just learning for the first time and they're like, wow, I never knew that. That's an amazing story. That's an amazing thing. That's an amazing insight. Wow. Um, and so... You know, it, it called upon previous knowledge or, or even, and even if the person couldn't have, the, the first person, the person who was already knowledgeable couldn't have articulated it the way that the speaker did, they sort of intuited it from all that they had learned. And so um, there are people who, the way their family grew up, right, how to handle money was intuited and, and taught, right, Okay, when you get your allowance, here's your allowance, and you're going to put aside 10% for charity, and you're going to put 50% of what remains in savings, and now you get to spend the rest. And they continue to do that with their money for the remainder of their life, because that's what they were taught, and they've intuited that it's a good way to manage their money. Others, their parents didn't teach them anything about how to manage money, or how to invest, or really any, you know, any financial skills. And so they have to learn those, if they learn any, through hard knocks or through uh, learning and, and paying down some sort of um, intelligence tax, I'll call it, um, where they have to find out and figure out and, and pay for those lessons. And so I think that that, that is part of those the moments is, is this something that I've already been taught and or intuited versus is this really new information for me? And uh, to look at another wise old saying, right? We shouldn't judge a person until we've walked a mile in their shoes. Um, just because, you know, we grew up in the same country or even in the same community doesn't mean I got the same education as you. And therefore... What is a duh moment to me may be really interesting and fascinating to somebody else. And I think the one other piece I'll, I'll touch upon before I hand it back to you, Akiva, is that different people have different interests. Um, I may have mentioned this on this podcast before. I had a student who used to say to me if he put dollar signs in front of his math problems, he would have done a lot better because that was something that always interested him. Finance was always interesting. And so this idea of... You know, yeah, you, you know, you tell so-and-so a, 
a rabbinic story and they're like, yeah, that's nice. And you tell somebody else and they're like, wow, that's an amazing story. I want to remember it and I want to figure out how I can share it with others. Your thoughts? I'd like to uh, ask, ask a question to you, Avi, which is from the educator perspective, right? Sometimes when we when we learn something, we fall into that trap of not thinking it needs to be taught by, to someone else, right? So you provided some wonderful ways of how we can get examples of, of what we need to do from just passive, you know, experience, or our family can even sit down and, and explain something to us or our teachers, or we can have a situation where we end up learning it in school. But I think sometimes what happens and, and, what gets missed and lost in that educational process is something that the responsible educating party doesn't realize needs to be taught. So I, I guess I would give, I'll give an example of, of a seatbelt, which sounds like a silly example, right? Because you put your seatbelt on, your kids see you put your seatbelt on, they put their seatbelts on, or you don't put your seatbelt on, and your kids say, don't you have to put your seatbelt on? And, or, or you say to the kids, hey, all right, we're putting our seatbelts on, and the kid says, why? And you say, well, because of blah, 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 this is going to happen, blah, blah. right? And, and so, yes, on the one hand, that all works. However... I say that as somebody who is also saying to someone else who I know wears their seatbelt all the time. But here's the catch. Here's the kicker. What happens when you get into your car and you don't put your seatbelt on and you start driving? And usually it's after a certain amount of time or a certain speed where all of a sudden, what happens? A little dinging goes off. And... Nowadays in the cars, that dinging doesn't ever go away until you buckle your seatbelt. So car makers have figured out that even something that seems to be a duh moment must be taught and must be held and must be stated each and every time. So, Avi, from the education perspective somebody who handles supervising teachers and making sure that they don't forget those dull moments. How do you do that? So I think like a lot of other things, we try to approach it from many different methods. Um, not only do the car makers put the, the dinging sound in, in case you forgot your seatbelt, there is also um, ad campaigns to remind people the importance of putting your seatbelt on. And there are, when you, I remember taking driver's ed and we had to watch a, a, a movie or a short film about crash test dummies and what happens to them in, a, in an accident. And it was a scene done in a uh, lab but you could see exactly where, when there was an accident without a seatbelt, where the crash test dummy's head had hit um, and what kind of, of damage it would have done to them. And so all of this was meant to 
educate us in the short term and then remind us in the long term. And I think that goes back to the first example of, I know it's something I should do, but it's not something I want to do. I won't say who it was, but I was at one point driving with someone. I was a passenger in the car, and the driver was climbing in and uh, knew the dinging sound would happen, and so took the seatbelt, clipped it into the, uh, the side where it would go, and then sat on top of it because the seatbelt was uncomfortable. And while in my head I thought, wouldn't hitting your head against the steering wheel or the dashboard or the windshield be more uncomfortable? Uh, I did not say that. And so this idea of, you know, what I want to do, I'm... I'm uh, either because I'm lazy or because I'm independent or because it won't happen to me, um, is one of those things that I'm not sure we can educate out of someone. We can work to make it easier. We can set reminders. We can try to get people to, to understand the risks and the dangers. But we all take risks in our life. And if we only played it safe, we would never go anywhere. And so the, the question of, am I taking smart risks or not? Am I doing something that seems obviously unintelligent, which we all do from time to time, but if I'm making that as a regular conscious decision, um, at what point do we say, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're going to, again, remind, we're going to consequence. Um, there, there are seatbelt laws that say that if you're pulled over and you're not wearing your seatbelt, there's a significant fine. But, um, again, I'm not sure that really forces anyone to do anything or, or you know, or causes a change that we would need there to be. Well, thank you for that, Avi. Um, what I was trying to clarify, maybe, is sometimes you've mentioned to me that sometimes teachers who you supervise don't know that something needs to be taught. Uh, so, for example, perhaps the English teacher who doesn't realize that they need to tell their students these days, hey, I expect you to write your paper and not chat GPT to write your paper. Or... Uh, even a math teacher who might be from, let's say, England and writes word problems with British vernacular instead of American English vernacular and the students don't understand what the word problem is saying, so therefore they cannot answer the question effectively. Uh, those little things that get missed sometimes, those nuances that teachers might not realize, you supervise teachers, so how would you go about making sure that the teachers know to teach that? I think that's something that's useful for all of us to realize when, in any setting, when we forget to tell the what we think is obvious. So the first thing is that you have to be able to diagnose it. You have to be able to see that there's a problem. Um, so sometimes the problem is... 
you have a significant number of students who have made that mistake, right? So I'll give a small example and then a larger example. The small example is when a teacher gives a test and you look at it and you go, well, there's 20 students in the class and 16 of them all made the same mistake on this type of problem, whether it's math or whether it's English, then I have to ask myself, number one, were the directions clear? And number two, when I taught it, was I clear? Because if they're all making the same mistake on the same problem, then it's probably something connected to the teacher, not something connected to the students. Um, and so if you have an English teacher who has a significant number of students who are using you know, a, a, a chat GPT or some other AI to write their papers, then one of the first questions I have to ask the teacher is, did you tell them they couldn't do it? Well, I assume they knew they couldn't do it. I assume they knew it had to be your, their work. Well, if we didn't tell them that, either as a school or you as the teacher, then why would they think they couldn't do it? Um, you might think it's common sense, but as we've talked about in other podcasts, you can't count on common sense, especially among teenagers. And so I think it really comes down to learning from our mistakes and being willing to admit that it's really our own mistake. It's our own doing and not blame it on outside factors. And so helping teachers recognize that and say, hey, how can I make this better? If I didn't get the ideal outcome, if I didn't get the outcome I wanted, how do I adjust this? And sometimes they're small tweaks and sometimes they have to be significant tweaks. Um, but how do I change this so that I get the result I wanted? And sometimes you have to be very direct with teachers or with other people and say, I need you to stop doing X, I need you to start doing Y, right? Um, part of helping anyone adjust to a specific culture in an institution, and this is why HR has onboarding, is to tell them about not just the formal expectations of the job, right? I imagine as a doctor, if you walked into any hospital, if you've taken your boards, you know what medicine is, you wouldn't need HR to tell you how to do the medi medical parts of your job. What you need them to tell you is, this is how we do all the other parts in this hospital. This is how we deal with charts. And this is how we deal with consults. And this is how we deal with all of these other components that are part of our system that are not treating patients. I love that you provided that as an example, Avi, because... One thing that is a very common thing amongst physicians is they don't teach us any business prowess. And so you have all these physicians who go out with this idea of wanting to save the planet and save everybody who's living in the planet more than those saving the planet per se. And then we open our private practices and we don't know how to run a business and everybody just thinks, oh, well, you have a medical degree, so you know how to do, and, and no, no, we don't. And I think those of us who do learn to be successful in running a private practice are those who know how to say, I have no idea how to do 
lots of stuff, and there's even more stuff that I probably don't know that I don't know how to do. So I, I just figured I'd throw that out because I think that that's a great example of assumptions that were made and continue to be made that uh, are not appropriate assumptions. And again, I think if we use that as the example, if someone was unwilling to admit that they didn't know, right? Let's say they had started a business and, and didn't know how to deal with their finances and pay taxes on their, on their private practice. Well, if they just ignored it or, quote unquote, did the best they could on their own, they would probably get in some, either end up overpaying or get in some significant trouble with the IRS, Versus if you say, I really don't know how to do this, I'm going to hire some professional and they're the expert in that area and they can help me with it, then all of a sudden you're educating yourself and you're able to uh, comply with the expectations of the law. And so I think sometimes, and this is true of teachers, they, they feel safe in the silo of their classroom and they'll say, I'll just do this and figure it out. Um, and sometimes it's important to have other people come in and go, hey, have you tried this? Or in our building, this is the way we do things. Um, and I've seen schools where, you know, they said, well, non-educative, the, the, the staff members who are not involved in education don't have to go through the, the training at the beginning of the year, right, about school culture. And to me, that's a huge mistake because what ends up happening is then you have people who are not aligned with the school culture and in fact in some ways are dictating what the school culture needs to be based on their perception rather than on what the school culture actually was. So with that, I think I'll go to our question around Sometime, uh, some table other than the Shabbos table, because we already have our question for the Shabbos table for this week. And I will ask this. When did you learn to say, I don't know? And what did it cost you to learn to say that? And when was the last time you said it? Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach us, you can reach us at iqdiscuss at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and responding.